You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. There have been some of us at house in a preaching class. I have been learning how I, as a pastor, can accompany some of you as lay people to preach. It's with my own preaching professor from seminary, who I have to say was the hardest grader and by far gave the most homework. And she has been describing this process of learning how to preach as learning how to ride a bike. There are so many things now that after a year of preaching come so automatic like riding a bike. And Dr. Hannon has been asking me to step off the bike and maybe try to relearn how to ride the bike in case I have gone astray. It has been humbling myself to be reminded how to engage the scriptures in community and how not to just practice that myself, but also teach and accompany you all to do so as a community with me. There have been times that I come to a point of my day on a Zoom call in a conversation driving that my brain just screams, se me olvido, which means I forgot everything. Number one tool uh, Yvette used to teach Spanish. That was the only phrase I learned in public school Spanish because it's the best excuse. You can write it on every exam. You can say it to the teacher. Hell, I said it when I was in Spain. Yes. But I have to admit, it's also a cop-out. Relearning how to ride my bike and helping others to ride their bikes and preach has left me with these moments of same overdo, like I forgot everything. But I also know that that excuse can only get me so far. I can use it for a bit, but then at some point it's just a crutch. And at other times, it leads to an incredible joy and freedom. This past weekend, a couple of us here at House were on retreat at the Synod's Retreat Center, Messiah Mountain. And we had way too much fun. And of course, this pastor did not have their sermon done. Now I have a process. I have the best process. Some pastors call it lazy. For others, more like me, we can call it completely logical. So it's Friday afternoon. I head up to the mountain earlier, thinking that I'm going to finish my sermon before the kids show up. No. I stared blankly at the Google Doc with that bleaking cursor, and every time it blinked, I swore it taunted me, saying, Say me olvido. I forgot everything. So what do you do? What I've learned to do is when you hit this roadblock, Stop trying to force it. Move on. So I got to walk around Tong. I got to talk with some people. There was no point in trying to force it. That is one way in which my procrastination has changed from childhood through college and seminary. When I forget everything, I have learned not to force it or obsess over it. Just do something else completely unrelated, and I will eventually find my way again. 
So Saturday occurs, we have fun, eat breakfast, drink way too much coffee, have crazy conversations about AI taking over the whole world, about who we are as house, who we are becoming, how each of us are becoming, modern monetary theory, just to name a few. And with each passing moment, I check my Apple Watch and I feel this guilt and shame for being a horrible pastor and not yet having my sermon written. And out of myself, damn it, Siri. She's talking, sorry. (laughs) And out of my self-flagellation, a housemate asks, wait, you're not done with your sermon? Nope, I respond. And instead of receiving condemnation, they simply responded with, well, let's talk about it now. That's something the lay preaching cohort has been reteaching me. If I, as a pastor, read the scriptures on my own and then preach on my own, yes, it is of God, but it's still of me. And my preaching professor would always challenge me, despite my kicking and screaming, to stop doing the pleasure and burden of preaching as a solo endeavor, but instead as a communal responsibility. So that's what we did. We sat on the couches with Bibles or iPhones in hand, water, cheese sticks, chips, and queso. You better make that again, Michelle. And we opened up the scriptures together. Not as a pastor with all the answers, more like a pastor with all the questions and a people with all the questions and some answers. One common theme we were all drawn to in this text was the phrase, and some of them doubted. And someone was like, what's before this? So we look it up. And we learn that the beginning of chapter 28 is actually the resurrection. It's really funny that some are still doubting because there is this whole chapter of people showing up saying Jesus is alive. They didn't believe an angel. They didn't believe the woman. Hell, they didn't even believe Jesus himself. How in the heck are we still doubting? The disciples are conveniently using the excuse, Say me ovido, Jesus, I forgot everything. Who are you? What do we do? Before you leave us. I, as the preacher, have felt like I have forgotten everything and am wondering who is Jesus and or God and what are we to do? I think our seme olvido, our I forget everything, comes out of a human desperation and desire to give up when we don't have all the answers. Let me rephrase that. When I or you don't have all the answers. When crisis and trauma and the busyness of our own lives creep in, yeah, we begin to desperately, desperately wonder, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Casper, the white Holy Ghost? And what do I do? And once again, I realize that all the nouns in that phrase have been I as the subject. As if I can have all the answers. Just like I'm supposed to have all the answers and give them to the people from a high off pulpit. Like, and then Tinkerbell needs to come down and wave pixie dust all over the place so you can actually spiritually fly. This same olvido, I forgot everything, not having my sermon done, put me on my butt in the mud 
with my beautiful people around me, extending grace and a hand, saying, we also don't know. And like a cheesy, a cheesy kids movie or show, let's do it together. And as we talked for what seemed like hours, we had an idea of knowing. We together could remember and engage the story. And we might even come to know God. It reminded me of a book that was turned into a movie. The 2007 novel written by William P. Young, The Shack. Who read it? Who watched it? Yes. Yes. It was one of the tolerable evangelical movies. And it has helped me understand the triune God. What we are to do in our stubborn proclamation of we forget everything. The main character, Mac, struggles with his belief in God throughout the movie. His experience of childhood abuse at the hands of his father has caused Mac to see God as angry and one who punishes. One day, while Mac and his family are camping, his two older children are canoeing and their canoe flips over. Mac, of course, rushes to save his other two children. And in the midst of crisis, another crisis emerges and nothing less than evil takes away his youngest daughter, and she is later found dead. In his crisis of faith, Mac is mad at God. Mac thinks that God is punishing him. Mac thinks that God is some sort of sick monster whose plan it was to take his little girl away. Mac thinks that he somehow brought this upon himself in retribution for his past sins. In his crisis, in his exhaustion, through a note in the mailbox, God invites Mac to come and have a conversation with them, to take a minute and pause and hear some different stories about who God really is. The whole movie revolves around Mac working through this understanding of why this tragic event could have happened and God's role in it. One of my favorite scenes is when Mac finds a small cottage in the wood. He walks through the door feeling a deep peace like being home. And he is met by God, played by Octavia Spencer, a black woman. In this exchange, God says that she is, I am. You can see the confusion and curiosity on Mac's face as he tries to comprehend, while he simultaneously feels known and familiar. Mac immediately wants to take God, the creator, to task. Mac wonders how God could have left her son dying on the cross so emotionless and distant. And then God takes out her hands, and her hands tell a different story. In the movie, she shows the scars of which the nail would be, and on the side. She is so adamant that she loved her son so much that she was there. She was not distant. She was not removed. She was in that very moment. She's telling a different story. Eventually, with all this confusion about who these people can be, God says, I understand it's confusing. We will do this on your terms and time. We don't have all the answers, but together we might find some. God then introduces Mac to her son, Jesus, who is played by a young Middle Eastern man, and the spirit, a young Asian woman. After meeting all three, Mac asks the dares to ask the question, which one of you is, and I finish that with the real God, 
And before he can finish the question, all three respond with, I am. And do you have no idea how much we love you? In our encounter with the disciples on the mountain, we stand with the disciples in all of our confusion, our doubt, our anger, trauma, desperation, taunting. Say, may all of you, though, we forgot everything. And lucky for us, Jesus is not an asshole this time and does not chastise us. In fact, when we were talking about this, Bobby Joe said that it doesn't even phase Jesus that the disciples are still doubting. Like we the kids do the thing that always pisses our parents off, and you do it because you want the reaction from the parent. I don't know anything about this after this past weekend. But then there is that one time, right, that the kid is doing the thing to elicit a reaction out of you, and you as the parent don't respond in the way that they think you will respond. It leaves them in a sort of confusion, wondering why we even do this thing, it catches them off guard. And then, Jesus goes back to a stump speech, gearing up for 2024. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. In all of Mac's doubt, in some disciples' doubt, in our doubt, Jesus says, I have no lack of confidence in you. Oh, really, Jesus? I sure do. But no. Jesus, in our wonderings and doubtings, answers our questions with answers far from real answers. Jesus says, proclaim the story, be open to the possibilities, not just do X, Y, and Z, and know that God is with us. Throughout the movie, Mac is insistent about pinning down who God is, creator, or redeemer, or sustainer, or just two, or all three, who knows? But Mac hears some stories about God the creator, father, mother, who is like a parent, knowing us like the back of their hand, intimate, not distant, bearing her own scars because of the love for her son. And Mac also learns a different story of Jesus, redeemer, companion, and friend, Someone who reassures and also nudges us to go further with us through it all. Mac also hears a story of the spirit, the sustainer, the one who tends our gardens, the one who is always weeding and planting new seeds, collecting our tears, offering us breaths of life anew. Our small group talked about how in the church, we have a hard time with naming God's presence and workings in our life. And we came up with a couple reasons why. One is our trauma from the evangelical church. In in my evangelical days, naming God's presence and workings was always veiled manipulation. And the other reason I am hesitant about naming God's presence and working in my life and ours is because of the messages I had growing up. 
We have only come to know of the workings of God if there is a grand presence. Gandalf coming down from heaven, if enemies are defeated, if the heavens open up and a big rainbow appears. So if we have these expectations about who God is, how God acts, how we are to respond, of course it will be hard for us to begin to see God outside our inherited rigid stories. My own rigid story as a pastor. And instead of responding with a light and fog show, God does not say, look at me. God says, well, here are some stories about us. Each one true, kept completely separate, incomplete. Then on one day, Mac meets another crisis. He must go and prepare his daughter's body for burial. At this time, he is not awakened by God, the now familiar black woman, but rather by an older indigenous man. A man that triggers him because of his understanding his story about his father and his conflation of father and God the creator. Mac asks where the woman has gone, and God responds, for what we are going to do today, you're going to need a father. Our questions are met by the presence of God and another story. Mac's rigid expectations are met with stories, sometimes with God as feminine, God as masculine, neither old, middle-aged, young, all God, all the same when the stories are read together. And when you doubt one story, God will say, sit in my lap and let's read another one. Come home, put some chairs out, eat some food, and let's share stories about who God is for us and maybe give up our need for knowing the single definition and articulation of God. To be honest, there are very little answers in Jesus' response. It actually sounds like a pattern, a process, a way of life. We are called to baptize others and ourselves, not just with water, but also to be drenched in the word made flesh, the stories, and stories not just of the good things, but of the ones of doubt and denial and mess-ups and betrayal. And maybe when you yourself can't see it in this story, let us sit down together and tell another story and another story from another person another time, another relationship. Who is God? Well, God said it best. I am who I am. No straight answers, just a lot of stories. As soon as I think I know what's going on, I'm wrong. I'm circling and spinning out of control. Say me olvido, I forgot everything. But adding our stories together does not add confusion. It adds complexity. It adds a richness and depth that is only made possible by community and by God's whole being, creator and redeemer and sustainer. It's the same story told a different way from a different person or perspective from a different place. Not just from me, not just from another. To come to know the complexity of God we will have to take on the full complexity of all God's stories, and most importantly and inadequately, our own.
And when we forgive it all, forget it all, seme olvido, proclaim the story. Be open to the possibilities, not just X, Y, or Z. Baptize with water and word and know that God is with us. And to add, then come to eat. In a meal that we cannot explain nor fully understand, providing so many answers and so many questions. A meal that tastes of freedom and a story that will never end. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org/giving.